order in the court. It's time for Understanding the Law Radio. Well, hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, and today we're going to be talking about tortious interference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what am I talking about? What did I even say, right? Um, well, it's going to be very interesting because we're going to tie in professional wrestling. So what legal topic isn't great when you tie in professional wrestling? So we're going to be talking about tortious interference, um, what it is, the two types, and then we're going to give you a real-world example of a case that was filed in January that's ongoing and that deals specifically with the same topic, and it's going to tie it all together for you. Now, why is this important, and, and who should care about tortious interference? Well, listen, if you own a business, if you have a family member that owns a business, this is an important topic for you to understand because tortious interference is a very serious thing that can have such severe impacts on your business, um, your customers, your clients, etc. And we're going to get into that today. Now, what 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 am I saying? Tortious. Well, it it's derived from the word tort, which is a a wrongdoing, right? In these fancy legalese terms that really should just be eradicated because nobody talks like this anymore. Um, but essentially, it is um, interference with a business operation that was intentional. That, that's really what tortious interference is. Now, look, if you own a business, you know how difficult it is to develop a client base. It doesn't make a difference what industry you're in. If you are trying to build a brand and a company, your clients are some of the most valuable people to you aside from your employees, et cetera. But if you don't have clients, you could have the best product or best service available. And if you have no one to purchase them, then what good is your business? And that's why people who have taken years to develop client lists and databases and contacts and customer lists, they need to protect it. They need to protect those lists because it's such a vital component to the success of your business. Now, Tortious interference is when, like I said, someone interferes with your business. Now, that could be in two ways because tortious interference, which is, by the way, I think a principle in every state in the United States. Basically, it's two forms of interference that can occur, okay? So the first form is interference with an existing contract. And the second form is interference with a prospective economic advantage. And we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. But going back to tortious interference, let me, let me put it in a, a more, um, a more formal way, right? It's going to sound a little bit better. Tortious interference occurs when someone intentionally interferes with your business relationships or interests. All right. Now, Going back to the idea of the two types, you have to show, if you're going to bring a lawsuit for tortious interference, you have to show that either one of those two forms of interference occurred, interference with an existing contract or interference with a prospective business contact, um, and, and we'll get into defining that in a second, but those are the two forms. 
Now, like I said, the importance of your client list, your contacts just can't be overstated because without those contacts, you have nobody to sell your products and services to. And, you know, being a business owner myself and having worked um, with other businesses and helped establish other businesses, it's so difficult to compete in a space where you have so many other competitors, whether you are an interior designer or you are a cabinet manufacturer or you're a sporting goods company. You know, it's so difficult to set yourself apart from everyone else in today's world, right? Because everyone has access to social media. Everyone has uh, access to the internet, websites. It's not as though, you know, at the inception of the internet, if you were a company who built out a, um, you know, a basic web page, you were like a star. You were a rock star because nobody had access to that. And then when video came into the picture, you know, and, and video in the form of YouTube and things like that, if you knew how to shoot a video, edit it, and upload it to YouTube, again, rock star. And it made your business stand out from the others. Well, I feel like we've reached a point in time where that access to technology is is pretty level, okay? Yeah, you're going to have people who... Hey, you know, we created an NFT for our business and that's going to set us apart. Or we did, um, you know, a, a cartoon or, or whatever it might be. You're going to have those individuals who, yeah, they're always on the, on the cutting edge of technology. But when you just look at where we are right now, I, I think that, you know, it's probably fair to say that 95 to 99% of all businesses have a website. And I'd even go so far as to say that the majority of businesses, probably somewhere in the 90th to 95th percentile, are on social media. So let's just call, for argument's sake, the playing field level. Now, we work hard to develop that book of business, those clients. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a vendor that you're using exclusively or if it is a distributor or if it is a customer. You need to protect those customers. You need to protect your interests with them because it's hard enough to build the relationship and then to grow the relationship, right? Because you know how once you land a client, for example, if you don't give them exceptional service or products, they're not going to come back, right? So it's such a multifaceted um, process. It's It's getting yourself out there, landing the clients, and then proving your value to the clients, and then continuing to grow and and change with the needs of the client. Uh, You could have a client for a year, and if you don't adapt, they're gone. So very, very, very important. And so while you're working on building this business, there are people out there that are looking to take advantage of what you have built and developed and interfere with it. Now, I'm going to highlight this when we go to uh, the example of the WWE lawsuit, but let, let's just get into a, uh, a, a more clear definition of the two different types. Remember I said it's interference with an existing contract or interference with a prospective advantage. 
So in general, in order to prove intentional interference with an existing contract, right? So you have a contract with someone and a third party is going to come in and interfere with that contract for their own benefit. Here's what you need to prove. You need to show, number one, that you had a contractual relationship with someone. Two, that the defendant, this is the, the party that's going to be interfering, the defendant knew of the existence of the contractual relationship. Three, the defendant intentionally interfered with that contract or contractual relationship. And four, as a result, you, the plaintiff, the business owner, you were damaged. That's what you need to do to show interference with an existing contract. Okay. Second way is tortious interference with a prospective economic advantage. And that's a fancy way of saying, you know, if you have something in the pipeline that's really kind of a sure thing and you're, you're negotiating and you're nailing down the terms and then, you know, somebody interferes, that would be interference with a prospective economic advantage. Now, in order to prove that, you have to show that there was a reasonable expectation of economic advantage, right? You can't just say, oh, I was, you know, sending out postcards to everybody in, in you know, the, the surrounding counties. And, and so, you know, you can't interfere with any of them because I sent out postcards. No, it's got to be way more than that. There's got to be a reasonable expectation that you guys were going to strike a deal, okay? Number two, the defendants have to have known or have knowledge of that expectancy, right? That, that expectation of economic advantage, they had to have been aware of it. And then number three, they'd have to purposefully interfere so that that expectancy, that deal that you were working on doesn't come to fruition. And then they, and then you as the, as the plane of the business owner have to show that the damages that you suffered are directly related to the interference. Okay. And, and that's really what you have to show. Very easy, very simple, two different ideas. Okay, now here's where we're going to tie this all together because as you will see from this litigation, it's very important that if you believe that there is the possibility of tortious interference going on with respect to your business, you need to do something. You need to take action. Obviously, that action should be retaining a lawyer to help you, but let's look at this case. So the name of the case is MLW Media versus World Wrestling Entertainment. So this is two wrestling companies. And what happened here is that MLW Media sues WWE. And they're suing them, alleging that the WWE, and for those of you who don't know professional wrestling, WWE is really the um, the, the, the primary professional wrestling brand. It's owned by Vince McMahon. It's been around for years and years. It's the one that John Cena is part of and The Rock. And so, you know, anybody that, um, you know, is thinking about professional wrestling, nine times out of 10, they're thinking of the WWE. Now, there's a lot of other smaller companies that have popped up because over the last few years, the WWE has been lackluster, let's say. And so other companies have sprung up. They realize that they can get some of the talent that uh, either WWE has dropped or they can develop their own talent. And so they form these, these companies. Now, WWE is 
doing all it can to protect its own interest, brand, and reputation. But according to this complaint, the complaint was filed in the Northern District of California Federal Court. MLW Media alleges that WWE tortiously interfered with its existing contractual relations. Number two, that they intentionally interfered with their prospective, uh, prospective I'm sorry, and, uh, economic relations. And then number three and four, that there were violations of the California Business Code and violations of Section 2 of the Sherman Antitrust Act. So the complaint, which is available on our website, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's it's just pjlesq.com. If you go to the blog page, it's actually on the main page as well, you'll find a link to this blog post. And within the blog post is a link to this complaint so that you can read it yourself. It's actually very interesting if you are you know, e- either interested in professional wrestling and seeing what's going on with uh, WWE from a, from a lawsuit perspective, or you're just interested in the topic that we're talking about today. Just click on the link, download the complaint. It's, it's, it's interesting. So anyway, basically MLW alleges that, you know, uh, WWE targeted them with what they call quote unquote unlawful predatory conduct, including airing without authority, MLW wrestling footage, and then inducing MLW wrestlers who were under exclusive contracts with MLW to terminate those contracts and then encourage them to uh, move over to the WWE or to breach their contracts by disclosing MLW's confidential and proprietary business information. All right, so in other words, to break this down, MLW hires its own wrestlers. They're in a contract with MLW. The contract says you're not allowed to disclose any proprietary or confidential business information relating to MLW. Okay, so that's a contractual term that the wrestlers are bound by. In addition to that, I'm, I'm certain, I haven't seen the contracts, but I'm certain that there are uh, contractual obligations concerning the length of time that the wrestler has to wrestle for MLW and likely some sort of restrictive covenant or non-compete so that they can't just immediately leave MLW and then go to another wrestling company, okay? Now, MLW also alleges, so the first, the first one we're talking about, they had contracts, right? So that's, that's the first um, way. That's the interference with a contractual relationship. That's what we're talking about there. That's how they did it. Now, with respect to the uh, interference with prospective, or prospective, I'm stuck on that word, prospective economic advantage, MLW alleges that WWE unlawfully interfered with MLW's television broadcasting agreement with Vice TV. Okay, again, um, what was going on here was that it wasn't a a signed and sealed agreement. Um, There was a tentative agreement signed in May 2021 between MLW and Vice where they were going to agree to air certain footage but they were engaged in negotiations. And this is the, the key here, right? This is the perspective economic advantage. They were engaged in negotiations to expand the agreement to include broadcasting of new licensed programs. 
And they allege that WWE was aware of those negotiations and that WWE interfered by inducing Vice to turn away from MLW. As a result of this, MLW seeks all kinds of damages. Compensatory, which means basically how they were out-of-pocket damaged. Punitive, which is punishment for violation of, of certain laws. Statutory damages, which include treble damages. That's three times the amount of your actual damage if MLW is successful in proving that they violated the California Business Law Code and the Sherman Antitrust. So bottom line here is that this is no joke. Now, will it go to trial? Who knows? Will it settle? Don't know. And will the WWE be adversely impacted by this lawsuit? Again, they have so much money. Maybe this is just for them the cost of doing business and they're going to ultimately settle and and, uh, move on. Who knows? But, um, you know, do I think that this lawsuit will necessarily deter the WWE from interfering in the future, assuming this the allegations in the complaint are, are true? Probably not. I mean, they're a very large operation, the largest uh, professional wrestling company, and they're going to do what they can to stay on top. And for all we know, again, assuming that the allegations are true, WWE's legal department could have analyzed this and said that it's worth the risk of interfering because the you know loss in business would outweigh the risk of the litigation. Who knows? I'm making that up. Okay, but that's that's what's going on with this case. So you can see that businesses will will engage in this kind of conduct. And it's not just large companies either. You know, let's get an example. I'm going to do this off the top of my head, but an example of a small company who interferes. So let's say you are a local ice cream shop and um, a competitor opens up down the road from you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That happens all the time. Well, let's say that the competitor is looking for good employees. And let's say that for whatever reason, you have your employees under contract, not um, you know, at-will employees. And, and they wait till your employee gets out of work and they approach them and they say, hey, would you like to come work for me? And they induce them to break your contract to come work for them. Maybe they offer them more money. That would be an example of how a small business would, would you know, come across this tortious interference. Another example that I can give you is um, from a case that I handled not too long ago where an employee of a particular company, they were cabinet slash interior designers, Um, They were working for one company, and even though they didn't have a a contract with terms of how long that person was going to work for the company, there was a non-compete, a non-disclosure, and some other contractual um, obligations, some restrictive covenants. And, And this individual happened to be a very, very good salesperson, and another company in the competing space who was, I think, you know, half half the country away from where this 
business was located, but they became aware of them. They had been following the competition. They reached out, approached this woman, and said, hey, you know, we might have uh, a place for you here. And, you know, what's what's business like over there? And they started talking to her, and, and she ended up giving information um, because of the carrot that this other company was was holding out for her. And just you know, the money was good, and, and everything seemed right. So she just figured, okay, let me give this information. It's to my benefit. Ultimately, um, as these things happen, they, they always work out this way. She thought she was doing everything in secret, but then accidentally used her work email to send an email back to this company that was wooing her. And of course, her employer found out and then the employer sued the other company alleging tortious interference. So tortious interference is commonplace. It's common for large business. It's common for international business and it's common for small business. So it doesn't make a difference what size your company is. You, the longer you do business, will likely encounter some element of tortious interference. So what do you do? Well, there's no magic bullet. Number one, as G.I. Joe used to say, I think he said, knowledge is power. No, he said something like that. Knowing is half the battle. There you go. That's what G.I. Joe said back in the 80s. Knowing is half the battle. If you are aware of your rights and what tortious interference is, that's half the battle. That's that's critical. So hopefully we conveyed that information to you during today's podcast and it's helped. Now, what else can you do? Well, it's not going to be a, a, a bulletproof vest, but it is going to help if you require your employees and contractors to sign non-disclosure agreements, number one. You keep your confidential information secure, as secure as possible. You monitor your social media and other online platforms for unauthorized disclosures. And you act quickly if you believe that tortious interference has occurred. Now, by acting quickly, you know you, you need to get an attorney. That, that's the bottom line. This isn't a sales pitch. This is reality. You need, regardless of what state you're in, you need to, to call an attorney that's an experienced business attorney that has dealt with tortious interference before, and you need to retain that attorney to help you. The sooner you retain the attorney, the more action and the better quality action the attorney can take. So for example, an attorney could file a complaint immediately, and I use immediately you know, in quotes because it takes time to draft and file a complaint, but in the complaint, they could seek injunctive relief. Injunctive relief is, hey, look, you know, we, we, we've got an emergent situation here. We've got a competitor who is interfering with our business or our contract um, or a, a prospective uh, customer, et cetera. And we need the court to help us. And the court might issue a temporary restraining order or some other injunctive relief that would prevent any, you know, future damage. Uh, in addition, the earlier that your attorney gets on this, the more likely you will be to reduce the amount of damages that this other company is going to do to you, your brand, or your customers. So it's very important that you know you take action immediately. You don't sit back and say, Oh, what do I do? You know, oh, I don't know. You know, maybe they'll stop. Well, they're not gonna stop. Right. Once somebody has targeted you, again, remember, 
that this is intentional interference. All the examples that I've given you, whether it's um, the example from the WWE or the example that I gave you from uh, the, the ice cream one that I made up, the fact of the matter is that these companies want to have what you have. And they're going to interfere because it's in their best interest, at least in their mind. So you have to be mindful of it because it's not going to, uh, to go away. You're not going to say, hey, this doesn't happen to me. I'm a small business. It happens to everybody, everybody. And I, I, I bet you that if you have focus groups or that if you're in some kind of small business group, if you ask members of your group if they've ever encountered a situation like this, at least one of them is going to say, yeah, of course. So hopefully uh, this has been a, a helpful episode. It's a little bit different from what we've been doing um, lately, but I figured that this is worthy of its own episode because of the importance of, of understanding what tortious interference is and, and how it can so quickly derail your business and hurt your hard work that you've put in to build that customer network, that client base. You know, if you're negotiating a deal, you've worked hard to get to the stage where you're negotiating the, the, the terms and conditions. So to have somebody swoop in and interfere with that, that that's devastating. So, you know, keep in mind what we've talked about today. If you want to see more information about the WWE lawsuit, again, if you go to the website, pjlesq.com, click on blog, and then it's tortious interference. What your company needs to know is the name of the post. You'll be able to get the link to the lawsuit and you'll be able to read word for word what the allegations are. And uh, it's also interesting because it gives a little background and insight into the operations of the World Wrestling Entertainment Company, how they do business. Um, and, and so, like I said, if you're interested in wrestling, interesting read. If you're interested in, in just protecting your business, also worth your time. All right, well, that's going to do it for today. Hopefully this was helpful. And we're going to be back to a regular scheduled podcast uh, in the next few weeks. And so, as always, if you have any suggestions or comments or if there's a topic that you want to hear, please don't hesitate to email um, or call. All of the contact information is in the body of the podcast description. And don't forget to uh, let other people know that you like the podcast. Don't forget to let me know that you like the podcast. Give it a thumbs up or um, whatever we do in podcast world on any of the platforms that you listen to, thumbs up is typically YouTube, but, um, you know, rate the podcast. It, it helps. Let me know what you think. That's going to do it. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Understanding the Law Radio. If you haven't done so already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. We're available anywhere that you listen to your podcasts, including Amazon, Apple Music, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, don't forget to check us out online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again. See you next time.